This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. For the first time in program history, Michigan State has won a game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Tom Izzo and the number eight Spartans take down number six Duke in the Champions Classic on Tuesday night in what was the second massive win for Michigan State in the last week. The football team also made some noise on the national landscape since we last spoke. We'll get into all that and more on episode 12 of MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, speaking on Wednesday, December 2, 2020. I'm joined, as always, by Kyle Austin and Matt Wenzel. Uh, Kyle, what the heck? It's December already. <laughs> I got my Christmas tree up here, so I'm, I'm, I'm in good shape for December. Yeah, my wife insists that I have our, our Christmas tree up. I usually didn't like putting it up before Thanksgiving, but she just insisted. So what are you going to do? <laughs> She's the boss. So uh, Matt Wenzel is also here. How are you doing, sir? Did you, uh, did you get all those leaves taken care of? The leaves were taken care of. Uh, 36 bags, I think it was, they had out in front. Something like that. Wow. So, yeah. You were busy. Uh, I think my dad's, I've been helping him get rid of his leaves. He said he had 65 bags of leaves. That's, I'm just, that's a lot. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm good. It made me happy that my uh, yard is like, uh, you know, not covered in trees. I have a mostly open yard, so... Uh, anyways, let's get into it. Coming up today, as I mentioned, we will start with some reactions to Michigan State's massive win at Duke last night. Uh, we'll also briefly look back on Michigan State football's second massive win of the season against Northwestern and look ahead to its game with the vaunted Ohio State Buckeyes, uh, which at this point, as Wednesday afternoon, remains on the schedule. If you could please give this podcast a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen, it would be great. Also, tell a fellow Spartan about the pod if you like it. That's why we're here. Uh, we're doing this for you, for the fans. Uh, I mean, we offer a lot of content on the website on MLive.com, but this is sort of a way for us to provide maybe a little more personality, a little more insight. So uh, we would love to hear from you. But as I said, let's move forward. Let's jump into Michigan State's win against the Duke Blue Devils uh, at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Michigan State wins 75-69. to uh, one of the bigger wins in a long time. So, uh, Kyle, what's your sort of initial reaction to the win last night? It was obviously a big one for Tom Izzo and crew. Yeah, uh, definitely a big one. Uh, you know, initial takeaway for me was um, how they were able to come back after that start. You know, you remember the game in Breslin Center last year. They got off to a similar start, played really poor for, for the first 10 minutes um, and just got the doors blown off of them at home. And it seemed like a repeat of that going – um, going down there, started, I think, three for 15 from the field. Uh, Joey Hauser very quickly in foul trouble. Um, turnovers were there. I mean, just everything that they didn't want. Um, and, and when you're at Cameron, I know there weren't fans, but you're still at Cameron. Um, you're playing Duke. Um, I, 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 did, I thought that that would be very, very difficult for them to come back from. But, but we saw something, I think, that this team has to be able to, 
I think it started again with defense. It wasn't quite as dramatic as the Notre Dame game, but they really started making things difficult for Duke, I think, was able to turn that into some offense. And, you know, this this team showed some character. And they weren't, um, you know, players talked about in those huddles. It was it was Joshua Langford. It was Aaron Henry um, really kind of keeping the attitude right and, and showing some, some, some veteran leadership, some guys that have been there before. And um, to come back, um, you know, in a span of was about 20 minutes, go from 10 down at Duke to uh, – about 13 up. I mean, that was one of the more impressive stretches I've seen uh, played by a team against a team of that caliber. Um, and obviously, you know, Aaron Henry, Rocket Watts, uh, Julius Marble had a lot of different guys that, that chipped in and did that. Yeah, it really was a team win. I mean, we saw Aaron Henry on the sidelines in one of the, I think he played like 35, 36 minutes, but in one of the brief moments when he wasn't on the floor, he was standing next to Izzo, jumping up and down on the sideline, yelling at his teammates to do something. Yeah, that, that start was brutal, man. I was having PTSD from last year and from so many trips to Cameron where Michigan State just goes in and gets the doors blown off. I mean, their shot selection was terrible. They were turning the ball over. Early foul trouble for both bigs. It felt like the Spartans were playing on a court that was, like, tilted to its side at one point mm-hmm. because every pass Michigan State would throw was, like, they were, like, jumping up in the air like eighth graders, throwing it all over the place, or every mm-hmm. shot was off balance. Like, it was bad, and I was worried. <laughs> But it, it, this is what I think saved Michigan State is, you know, we've talked about this depth that they have, um, but but they had nine dudes who could walk out there against Duke and give them good quality minutes and give the, play winning basketball for them. And that's something I think very few teams had. And, you know, Israel keeps talking about, um, you know, he, he he's playing this deep. Well, he plays a deep rotation no matter what. So I don't really know what he's talking about sometimes. But he says he's playing it this year because of COVID and because he's afraid that, you know, key guys are going to get shut down and they're going to have to play these shorthanded games. But um, on Tuesday, uh, there were no COVID problems. The problem was they were calling a tight game and they had to go to this bench early. Um, but, you know, Julius Marble saves them coming five for five off the bench. Uh, had that huge dunk in the second half. Uh, Malik Hall was great. First ever double-double. Uh, I, mean, I mean, they don't win these games. I mean, I'm looking, I got the box score up now. Uh, Thomas Tithier did not score. Joshua Langford scored three points. Um, Marcus Bingham, who had a great game against Notre Dame, did not score at all. Uh, I mean, not many teams could have multiple starters having zero or three points, having one of their key reserves have zero points, um, and be able to pull it out. And pull it out pretty comfortably. I mean, it got pretty close near the end, but um, that was that was not even that close of a game to me. So, so this is a team that, I mean, a lot of teams and a lot of previous Michigan State teams, I think, have said that they're, oh, we're eight deep, we're nine deep, we're ten deep. This team, to me, really is. Uh, I mean, Julius Marble was really not even in the playing rotation the first two games. I mean, he was number nine um, as mm-hmm. far as if I were to rank players. And he comes off the bench 12 points um, and, and really gave him a spark. So that that defense and their depth, that's what Tommy Zero talked about. Um, I, I mean, that, that that's really what saved them, I think, against Duke. I mean, I think you could argue Michigan State could, could go as much as 12 deep because we didn't even see either freshman in this game, and right. which, which isn't surprising. I had some people chirping me on Twitter about – Oh, AJ Hard Hogard doesn't fit Izzo style. It was bad for him to go there. I don't. He's going to be in the transfer portal. I'm just like, what are you talking about, man? Like, he's a, he's a top eighty freshman. He's clearly got talent. Izzo loves the kid, but to that, a road game at Duke is not where you bring on the young freshman, no, and, especially and, one and, who's had injuries. Yeah, I was going to say he he missed like two weeks in the preseason uh, with injuries. Yeah. So, um, and, and they don't need him. And and. They were, I mean, they were good enough at point guard. I mean, obviously everyone was very interested that Rocket Watts got the start um, for the first time and a little erratic. Um, obviously he scored and, and that's why you've got him there. He's going to give you the points and, and he, he dropped 20. That's what they needed. Um, I, he's not there as a point guard yet. Um, some of those passes were just, um, 
uh, a little inexplicable. But I mean, <laughs> but, but that's why Aaron Henry is so valuable. Pretty much anything that's not going well, you need. I mean, they're at the point with Aaron. It's like, hey, Aaron, go go do that. Go go rebound. Go go get to the hoop. Go play the point. Uh, when, when Duke really turned up um, in the second half, when they turned up that pressure. It was Aaron Henry, get the ball across half court for us. And, and he was able to do that. So I, um, it wasn't his best offensive night, um, Aaron Henry, but I thought pretty much everything else, um, he was very, very good for them. Just all of the floor. You mentioned what he was doing on the sideline, um, aggressive. Um, you know, I, anybody who's followed um, this program, and I know both you guys have, Tom has always been trying to get him to be that player for the last two years. And, and given it's hard when you've got Cassius Winston out there with you, but wanting him to become a guy and, and to look to, to be a focal point and to look to have things go through him. And it's finally starting to happen. And I think he's got confidence and I think he knows that he wouldn't go out there and shoot 21 shots. And they were good shots. Um, I didn't think he was erratic or, or making bad decisions or anything. And, and he's, he's looking like a guy, but, but this is also a team that, has a lot of very good players. I'm not sure I see any All-Americans out there. I don't see, think I see any Big Ten players of the year out there, uh, but a lot of very, very good players. And sometimes that's better for a club. B. You get a little bit more balance out of it. Um, you don't have some of the issues as far as things being focused on one guy. So if they can keep up this depth and this balance, I think that would serve them pretty well. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw, early, especially early in the season last year, with you know, it was basically – let's watch Cassius be in the pick and roll with Tillman and everyone else is standing around this year. You have a team that has at least five or six guys that can get their own basket at any point in time, which, you know, they've clearly grown from last year. I mean, you talk about Aaron Henry, 14, you mentioned not his best offensive game, but 14 points, five rebounds, five assists, three steals, three blocks. I mean, he also had the four turnovers, but you play 36 minutes, that kind of stuff is going to happen. It seems like he's really grown into the true leader of this team. And he really kept them in it, especially early on when Duke was, you know, when they were struggling, when the, the floor was tilted. Aaron Henry got a couple nice buckets by being aggressive, getting the free throw line. He really kept Michigan State in the game when they were struggling early on, in my opinion. And yeah. Rock, yeah. Rocket made some great, uh, great, great plays as well. And I was just getting a kick out of You want to talk about testing someone's mental toughness. Rocket Watts is being guarded by Jordan Goldwire, who's one of the best defenders in the country in the ACC. And as he's bringing the ball up, he's in the corner, and he's got Duke's entire bench playing defense on the sidelines in an empty arena. Like, you want to talk about gut check time. Uh, that was it for Rocky Watts. And he went down and scored, I think, six straight points And when Duke was really turning up the pressure and trying to make that final run. Yeah, I mean, Rocket Watts shows, shows signs of, of his age and his maturity at times. But you have to love his attitude. Um, I, th- I think if you watch basketball and, and he is just ready to, to rip your heart out at any time. And I, it seems, it's funny. I, it seems like he cannot score one basket. He always has to score two in a row because he gets the one bucket and it's like, I'm going <laughs> and he's ready to go to the next one, but it serves him well because he makes a lot of momentum plays for them. He hits just a lot of shots that really seem to kind of demoralize. Uh, the you mentioned the one in the corner there. Um, I, I love the one drive he had where he went, um, um, he went right behind Jalen Johnson, who wasn't even, he didn't even notice. He didn't yeah. even notice him, just zipped right by him. Um, uh, we're starting to see him come into his own a little bit. I think the point guard has been a bit of a tough transition for him, um, but I think he's starting to settle into that a little bit more. And, and you know, Foster Lawyer is, actually, I, I think, doing better than people thought. So I don't think he has that big of a burden on his shoulder. You know, Foster Lawyer can come in there and handle the ball. Aaron Henry can handle the ball. So um, I think he's able to ease into it a little bit. And I think it's been um, not a great first two games, but I think, it, I think it's coming around for him. 
I was so impressed with Foster Lawyer. I mean, he he's he's limited physically, but he was battling, man. He battled and played throughout mm. that entire game when he was guarding Wendell Moore in the post on that one possession <laughs> where he was fronting him and he was just clearly getting dominated. But he was giving it his all, and he was making Wendell Moore uncomfortable. And then the ball goes down there. He, he starts the trap. I think maybe Malik Hall was the other guy they, they trapped with. I, I might be mistaken there. But anyways, mm-hmm. they trapped it. Then he jumped on the floor, called a timeout. Those are the, that's the reason he's a captain, because he does things like that. Right. And, and that's, that's all they ever asked of him. You know, like, like nobody's going to ask him to come be a shutdown defender at his size and, and his athleticism, but get out there, do what you can show some effort, um, take the charges. Um, that's a little dangerous to do in my opinion in college basketball, take all those charges, but they were certainly happy that he took those two. Um, I thought he did a good job of just positioning, using, using his body, making guys uncomfortable, like you said. Um, and, and to me, that's Foster lawyer at his best. You know, he's um, maybe didn't hit the shots tonight, but he certainly got the ability to uh, to hit the shots and and if he can do if he can be that on defense uh, most nights then that that's good enough for Michigan State I think yeah him and Julius Mar- Marble just and Emily Cole obviously but Marble and uh, Marble and uh, got a cat appearance here uh, they were just massive off the bench for Michigan State and that, and that was huge and I want to ask you this Michigan State defensively I mean do you think this has a chance to be one of Izzo's best defensive teams because. I've never seen a Duke team throw up so many bricks in a single game. I mean, they were taking bad shots. And we saw it in the Kentucky-Kansas game after, too. Kentucky was throwing up some bad shots, too. Is that just a youth thing, or do you think Michigan State really has a chance to be elite on defense? You know, if it was just the Duke game, I would probably say it's them. And that has something to do with it. But we've seen it for three games now. And at a certain point, uh, you have enough data points, I think, to say, hey, there's something here. I mean, what – uh, what they did against Notre Dame, uh, those last 10 minutes of that first half of Notre Dame, was one of the best defensive stretches I can remember seeing a Michigan State team ever play uh, between the blocks, um, how difficult they made shots. Um, and, and, I, and I was really questioning whether they'd be able to do that against Duke. I know Duke's young, but but they have a world of talent. Um, but they were able to, maybe not quite as dramatic, but they were able to to, to look pretty darn good defensively again. And, and you, and you look at, you look at them on paper. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, all these guys individually have shown at different times that they can be total shutdown defenders and they just haven't really all been there out there together. Um, and, um, you know, you look at Joshua Langford coming back. I'm not sure he's quite all the way back yet, but he, he's looking pretty good. You know, Rocket Watts. Well, you know, when you get Langford, Watts, and Heron Henry on a defensive perimeter together, <laughs> those are three very, very good defenders. I would put that backcourt defensively up against any I've seen in college basketball. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and and just, you know, making things difficult from there. Um, and then Marcus Bingham maybe didn't have a great game against Duke, but he can bother you too. I mean, the pieces are there. Um, and I, I, I think when it's all said and done, we could certainly be having this conversation. Yeah, it was a big win. It was exciting. Uh, it was a fun game to watch. Good, good thing to kick off the season. Um, it, it, just one other thing I am saying, I don't want to hear from Duke fans about how there was no fans or Michigan fans about how there was no fans. This was supposed to be a neutral site game anyway. So just stop with that. Like a win is a win. And if you want to flip that on its head, you could say, well, it must mean Tom Izzo's the superior coach because there's no outside aspects. It's just best on best on the court, straight up. I just hate all that. The, the, the way people try and t- twist narratives is, is incredibly annoying. I'm probably guilty of it too, but whatever. What are you going to do? Anything else you want to touch on before we jump to football here about this game? 
Uh, no, other than that, you know, the team's sitting pretty, pretty good right now. I mean, you, you go into two pretty winnable games, um, and, and you really got one non-conference test left in Virginia. Um, but this is, uh, they're going to be in pretty good shape. I, I mean, they'll make the top five on Monday and, and not what I would have expected, um, from this team. Um, uh, but like I said, I think it's just having, sometimes the teams that don't have a superstar end up, end up being kind of the best. And, and that's kind of the early, early, what I'm seeing from this, from this group. Yeah. The top four in the big 10 look absolutely loaded. That's for sure. Mm. Uh, we'll get a good look at Illinois tonight when they take on Baylor. But uh, anyways, we did get one question regarding basketballs about recruiting for next year and the year after that. Uh, no we're not going to get into that. Yeah. We're not going to get into that right now because me and Kyle did an entire episode on, on that exact topic. If you want to just go back and look, I think it was like the third or fourth episode we did. Uh, I mean, we talked about it for like a good half hour. Uh, I, I do not, I do not know if Monty Bates is coming. If that's what everybody wants. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Monty Bates may have been mentioned. He may have been mentioned. Uh, but yeah, we did a whole episode on that, and not a whole lot's changed since then. So if you want some more insight on recruiting and what's going on with Tom Izzo, we did a whole episode on that. Go check that out. Uh, it's back in our archives. Anyways, let's uh, let's move on. Let's uh, jump to football, who also had a big win. And Matt, yeah, Matt, you're still here, right? You're still in the house? I, I'm still here, yes. Okay, good. I'm glad we didn't put you to sleep with all that basketball talk. Uh, but Michigan State, it's been a few days. On Saturday, took down the uh, previously undefeated number eight Northwestern Wildcats, 29-20. to 20. Uh, Huge bounce back game for Rocky Lombardi. There was actually some sort of running game in the form of Connor Hayward, like we all saw coming at the start of the year. Um, Matt, this is another unexpected result from Mel Tucker and company. Uh, what are some of your initial reactions to the win? Uh, I mean, I th- thought it was their best game of the year all around. Um, you know, you could say that the offense was, you know, the vertical passing attack was obviously a little more impressive than the win in, at Michigan. But, you know, I mean, they, they controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Um, I did not see that coming. They ran the ball, best rushing performance since last year against Illinois. Um, did not see Connor Hayward <laughs> carrying the ball 24 times for 96 yards, I believe it was. Did not see Rocky Lombardi rushing for 65 yards. Um, and I think that was that kind of set the tone, um, especially with Lombardi, because, you know, they, they ran him in 18 when he was filling in for the workie, but not this year. So that was obviously something they put in the game plan. Um, and then, you know, defensively, I mean, it started early. They, they had a couple of fourth down stops in, on their own side of the field in the first quarter, and that was big. And then Lombardi hits uh, hits um, Jalen Naylor for the 75-yarder, and off they went. I, I was surprised, though, you know, after giving up 20 straight, Northwestern had all the momentum, so uh, I thought they were going to close it out, but credit to Michigan State for uh, showing the little grit late and then and getting the win, and uh, Matt Collin <laughs> sneaking in a pair of long field goals that uh, obviously weren't easy. So, uh, yeah, impressive win. Yeah, I, I continue to be really impressed with Mel Tucker. I, I think, you know, Michigan State's been up and down this year. He doesn't have the roster that he wants just yet. But in their two wins, you can just tell that Mel Tucker knows how to motivate. He knows how to get guys up for games. I, he seems to be decent at game planning and, and going into a game and trying to show a strength or take advantage of a strength or a weakness from the other team. But I've just been really impressed with the way that he's handled this season against pretty much insurmountable odds. I mean, anything that could go bad or, or be – uh, bad for preparing in a new regime has gone against him. And somehow he's made this team win games that they shouldn't win. Now we'll talk about Ohio state. That's a different animal. <laughs> We're not, you know, we don't know uh, if they're going to be able to pull the rabbit out of the hat there, but Mel Tucker's impressed me. Yeah. I mean, I think what, 
you know, I've said this a number of times before. I mean, you know, the deck was stacked against them pretty heavily going into this season. And and there were certain things you wanted to see from them this year. And one was, you know, big one was just, you know, show some sort of hope and optimism for the future and, you know, give fans something to believe in for 2022 and sorry, 2021 and beyond. And I think you've seen a little bit of that. I mean, anytime you beat Michigan, everybody will take that. Uh, and then you beat a, you know, I'm not saying Northwestern's you know, world beater by any means, um, but you know, that's, you know, a solid team that, so that's a, you know, that's obviously a significant win. So um, yeah, I mean, there, there are definitely positives to take away from that game and reason for fans to believe in what Mel Tucker is, uh, is uh, selling as far as his vision for the program and, and the culture that he wants to uh, uh, put together there. How about the performance from your boy, Angelo Gross? Hey, uh, you know that I, he was the guy that, you know, the one true, the true freshman going into the year that I, that I thought had the best chance to, uh, to make an impact. And, you know, I just really liked what he did on film. You know, he was a standout guy, excuse me, all three phases of the game in high school. And yeah, I mean, he was impressive. Uh, you know, that was some at five ten and 180 pounds or whatever he's lifted that, uh, the way he was tackling on Saturday was, you know, that's a, that's a very good sign for the future at a position that is, is critical in that defense playing that nickel spot. And they've used, you know, that was where Shakur Brown started the year before Chris Jackson got hurt and then he moved to corner and then Julian Barnett got the start there at Iowa and, and spent Angelo the last two games. And um, that looks like it's certainly his spot for the near future. Yeah. He was really impressive in the way he came in the field. I mean, when you have those, those corners and guys in the secondary, it could just make a huge impact because you can do different things. You know, D'Antonio's best defenses is when, you know, the no-fly zone back in the day when you had NFL corners and Johnny Adams and Darquez Denard and Trey Waynes, and they would put those guys out on islands, and that allowed them to just stuff the middle and do a lot more on defense. So when you have those guys in the secondary that are true, I don't want to say shutdown because I don't know if there's a such thing as a shutdown corner in, the, in college, but guys that you feel comfortable putting out there to handle their business – it really opens up options on defense for you. So uh, yeah. that was a big plus, I thought. No, I agree. And, and, and they've got, you know, they've got youth back there. You already mentioned Angelo. I mentioned Shakur, who's a redshirt junior. I don't know if he'll be around next year. The NFL draft might be a little too appealing for him. Uh, but, you know, the other, you know, Kalen Gervin and Chris Jackson are redshirt sophomores, if, my, if I can even remember that correctly. Um, and, and you've got, you know, Julian Barnett still making his transition to that side of the ball. So, you know, there is – there is some youth over there and, and there, you know, hope for the future for them developing back the back end of the defense. Let's move ahead. Let's look at, uh, or Kyle, sorry, I'll throw it to you. Do you have anything you want to add about the Northwestern game or anything that caught your eye? Uh, no, just, I, I think Matt pretty much covered it, but I mean, it, it, it's like basketball again, you know, when that third quarter when Northwestern was coming, I thought, I thought, okay, I've seen this movie before, um, but, but really impressed with them kind of turning the tide once again and, and getting that last score. That was something I'm not sure I've really seen from that team, and it was a pretty important step, I thought. Well, it's not going to get any easier for Michigan State. Their last two games are against Ohio State, and, uh, well, I guess they're not winless anymore. Penn State, I think they beat another Big Ten team last weekend. Um, but uh, those are the last two games for Michigan State, starting with the Buckeyes this weekend, we think. Um, we can talk about that in a sec, but uh, – Matt, we'll start right there. What, what's your – I mean, it's Wednesday now. What's your confidence level that this game is going to happen? Oh, I would say, I don't know, maybe – it's very dangerous these days to be very confident <laughs> in, in anything happening. Um, while you guys were talking about hoops, Michigan-Maryland got canceled. But, um, oh. 
So I don't know. I would say it's more than 50%, um, you know, just because Ohio State resumed team activities yesterday for what that's worth. Um, so that, I mean, when you look at, you know, previous, so it was Wisconsin, Maryland, and Minnesota were the teams that had paused and canceled, and they both had to cancel two games. And I don't believe either of them resumed team activities before canceling that second game. So if Ohio State um, is doing so, that would maybe indicate that they're going to break this trend of, of double cancellations and, and be able to play this week. Um, so, I mean, can they're you, planning on you, it as of – Can you explain the difference between – the Maryland, Minnesota, Wisconsin situations and Ohio State situation because a lot of people are annoyed and frustrated and they're looking at this like, oh, Ohio State gets to come back because they have to, you know. Well, I mean, I mean, transparency, I guess. When all, when Wisconsin was the first to pause, it announced I can't remember now the twelve or whatever. I don't remember positive cases, and then they gave an update x number of days later, and the number had grown, and that's where you get it. I don't. And Maryland was the similar thing. And then Minnesota, when they had canceled on Monday, they said they'd had 47 cases of, of COVID since November 19th. I mean, you just, you, you just can't do it. So um, Ohio State has not been as transparent. They have not given you a number. We know of one, and that's Ryan Day. Uh, as far as the others, I don't know. So, you know, and I think that's part of the problem in this, with all the speculation and, and these stupid conspiracy theories being floated by Kirk Herbstreet and, Desmond Howard about what's going to happen. Just, you know, shut up. But the Big Ten could have made this easier by just saying, all right, look, you've got to – I mean, you don't have to name names if you don't want to, but you've got to put out a number. Do something like that. That would make it a lot easier. Well, I'm I'm going to speculate then, Matt, if you don't mind. Go Um, for it. (laughs) Um, Okay, Desmond. I wonder if I wonder if Ohio. I mean, they, when they canceled Illinois, they made a big deal about the fact that we haven't hit the threshold yet. We didn't have to do this, but we're doing it. I wonder if they got a little sniff of an outbreak coming and said, "We're going to shut this down because our goal is to make this a one-game shutdown." And it probably didn't hurt that it was the Illinois game that was up next. Um, but I think they. I wonder if they pulled the plug very early. Say, "All right, let's kill one game now and try to save the other two. Um, and maybe they pulled the plug a little bit earlier than some other teams. That's that's the only thing I'm wondering, and, and maybe this, and it could be that this, you know, Ohio State's getting special treatment too. But that that's the only, the the logical explanation I can come up with, I guess. Yeah, I had Ohio State fans chirp, chirping me for trying to suggest that the Big Ten was giving them preferential treatment, like that never happens at all. So, whatever, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, so we're running out of time here. We might have to skip predictions. But Matt, quickly, how how can Michigan State win this game if if there is a path at all? They're a 24-point underdog, by the way. Well, I mean, what I, I mean, we don't know who's in and who's out for Ohio State. Um, obviously, if Justin Fields is there, that's, you know. I would assume Fields means, is probably going to be fine. That will still make them the favorite. Um, but, you know, I mean, to be honest, I haven't watched a ton of Ohio State. I watched uh, most of the, uh, the Indiana game, and what I saw was a team that was, you know, capable of giving up big plays. I didn't, you know, Indiana didn't run the ball. I think they pretty much gave up. But when you got Michael Penix and the weapons he's got, I mean, they were able to, what he throw for 400 and some yards, 430 or something like that. So, I mean, if, I mean, we've seen Michigan state's capable of, of attacking vertically. Um, I don't know if you can do the same at, against uh, Ohio state secondary as you could against Michigan's um, and a little bit against uh, Northwestern's. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I guess I'll say, you know, and the cliche, you know, the old win in the trenches and all that stuff, but you know, they've got to run the ball, <laughs> you know, and, and cut down in turnovers and, and and do something, you know, attack vertically. 
I'll be very surprised if they win this game in the trenches. I'll say that. Yeah. I'll be surprised if they win this game anywhere, but uh, I think, yeah, running the ball, keeping Ohio state's offense off the field. We did see them run the ball somewhat effectively against Northwestern. So maybe it's plausible. Maybe that offensive line figured something out during the bye week against, or when they were supposed to play Maryland Um, and then turnovers, maybe like a pick six fumble, uh, fumble return for a touchdown, maybe a kick return touchdown. You never know. I mean, those are the kind of plays that help teams that are trying to pull off a massive upset. Maybe it can happen. Seems pretty difficult to me. Uh, we're going to have to skip predictions, guys, because we're going to run out of time here uh, on the Zoom. But I'll, I'll do it. I'll toss a couple quick uh, questions your way, Matt. Uh, what's the status on Jordan Simmons and Ricky White for Saturday's game versus Ohio State? It would be nice to have an additional offensive punch those two provide. Well, I asked Mel specifically about Jordan Simmons yesterday, and his question, his answer was the same as it's basically been anything injury-related. He said, guys are banged up, and they'll be ready when they're ready. So uh, Mel has not given away anything really on the injury front, and if he wasn't asked about Ricky yesterday, and even if he was, I doubt the answer would have been any different. I swear from eight stories up with binoculars that I saw both Simmons uh, and Ricky White, as well as Trent Gillison, on the sideline last week, which would indicate it's obviously injury and not COVID. Um, now that's with guys with masks on who are well below me, but I'm pretty sure it was them. So uh, I don't know. Maybe they'll play. Maybe they won't. Uh, speaking of tight ends, you mentioned Gillison. Is the emergence of uh, the emergence of former punter Tyler Hunt more of a statement on his abilities or an indictment on the development at that position in general? Uh, he mentions consistent use of a tight end made our offense of the past much tougher to defend overall. A little bit of both plus injury. I mean, Matt Dotson has missed the last three games. Trent Gillison was out last week. So there's your top two tight ends that are out. And now all of a sudden you've got Tyler Hunt, who everybody raised about his athleticism and credit to him for, for being able to go from walk-on punter kicker to, to, you know, guy who's contributing at tight end. And then Evan Morris, same kind of deal. Walk-on punter kicker was out there at tight end as well. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Adam Berghorst, he's in uniform, but they really haven't, you know, I don't know if he's been targeted maybe once or twice this year. Um, so a little bit of a puzzler there. And we've seen Ian Stewart, uh, who's a true freshman who signed as a wide receiver. Uh, he's been working with tight ends too. So uh, something to watch, but when your top two tight ends are out, uh, it makes it a little tricky. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, there's a couple other questions here, but we'll save them for some other time. They're kind of evergreen questions. Um, but just real quick, Kyle, give me a, give me a game prediction. A game prediction. Uh, oh, uh, Ohio State 31, Michigan State 10. What'd you submit, Matt? Are you looking it up because you forgot again? I'm looking because <laughs> I had to send it earlier. I picked uh, Ohio State to win 37 24. 24 points from the Spartans. Hey, huh? I don't know. Hey, look at the. I mean, Ohio State gave up 25 to Penn State, 27 to Rutgers. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Who knows? Yeah, it's. I'm going to go with 45 to 10. <laughs> I'm not. Oh, I'm not very confident, huh? I mean, I've watched Ohio State. I've watched every snap they've taken this year. And Justin Fields is just phenomenal. The offensive playmakers they have, if they do what Michigan didn't do and attack Michigan State vertically, even with the emergence that we've seen from these young corners, I'm not sure they can hang with those athletes. I mean, uh, who are their top guys? You know, uh, I mean, they, they have five stars that are like third on their depth chart at, <laughs> at wide receiver. I mean, it's it's absurd. So, Hey, Michigan State has a five-star offensive lineman who can't get on the field. Too, there you go. Okay, yeah, that's true. That's true. But five-star skill position players, that's a different animal, you know, when you're dealing with those guys. Uh, Chris Olave and uh, was it Garrett uh, Wilson or Shre- – I don't know why I can't think of his name. But they've got weapons on the outside. And, 
I'm just a little worried, and I'm even more worried about Michigan State's ability to actually move the ball on this team. I think those 10 points, they'll maybe get a field goal from Coglin early, and then maybe they'll get like a late touchdown from, you know, I don't know. Maybe uh, they'll put the backup quarterback in. I don't know. I'm not feeling it. Let's just say that. I've seen Ohio State, and they're clearly one of the top three teams in the country, and I'm nervous. So uh, we'll see. <coughs> Excuse me. That's why they play the games, as they say. Uh, noon kickoff from Spartan Stadium. I believe the game is on ABC. So big window, big spotlight for the Spartans as they take on uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes. And Ohio State obviously has their sights set on another Big Ten championship. Uh, I assume both of you guys will be there this weekend? If there's a game, I'll be there. Yeah, I'll be there too. The tri- triple header, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, bas- basketball, football, basketball. So let's go. Excellent. Assuming that Western game actually happens. Yeah, if all three happen, I'll be surprised. But as of right now, I'm planning on it. So, All right, cool. Well, thanks, guys, as always. And thank you for listening uh, out there, Spartan fans. And uh, like I said, revel in this win against Duke because it was a big one. First ever win at Cameron Indoor. It's always a good day when Duke loses. America wins when Duke loses. And uh, so uh, we appreciate everyone for listening. And until next time, go green.